0: Hi, everyone. Drew Perot here, host of the Broken Brain Podcast. I want to say thank you again for listening. It means the world to us. If you take any aha moments away from this episode or any past episodes, consider posting about them on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Use the hashtag BrokenBrain so that we can find you and drop you a comment. If you want to tag us, you can find me on Instagram at, at @dhru_drew. Drew, Perot, P-U-R-O-H-I-T. And of course, you can find Dr. Hyman at D-R-Mark, M-A-R-K, Hyman, H-Y-M-A-N. And we'll link to both of those in the show notes. So I want to give you a little preview of the episode you're going to be listening today because it's a fascinating one. Today's guest is Dr. Omid Naim, a good friend of mine based in Los Angeles. Dr. Naim is a psychiatrist whose mission amongst many missions is to expand the number of tools that we have in our toolbox when it comes to addressing mental health. He wants to give practitioners, other psychiatrists and other individuals working with patients who are struggling with their mental health, other options in addition to medication that could potentially provide a solution and address the root issues of their health. Dr. Naim talks about some fascinating concepts in this interview, including trauma. He breaks down trauma and helps us understand how if we really wanna get to the root of trauma or a traumatic situation, sometimes we can't just talk about it. We have to find out where that trauma is located in the physical body. We also talk about social isolation and how damaging it is to use social media and technology to drive us away from others and drive us away from connection. We're also going to be talking about the power of community and why it's important to have friends and people that we care about that have our back in our lives. I think you're really going to enjoy today's interview. And now, here's my introduction for Dr. Omid Naeem. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Pruitt, executive producer of the Broken Brain Series. This podcast is dedicated to continuing the conversations that Dr. Hyman and I started during the Broken Brain series. Each week, we'll invite a new guest who we think will help you improve your brain health, feel better, and most importantly, live your best life. Today's guest on the podcast is our good friend, Dr. Omid Naeem, also one of the experts featured in the Broken Brain docu series. As a Western-trained psychiatrist, Dr. Naeem had the desire to create a more holistic, spiritual, and community-based approach to healthcare, seeing the limitations of the current model. Dr. Naeem completed the adult and child psychiatry residency at the University of California, San Francisco, and went on to work in community psychiatry with the most high risk and severely ill youth in the country coming out of the foster care system. Drawing on the emerging field of interpersonal neurobiology, he led in the establishment of a new integrative model of psychotherapy in his clinic focusing on healing trauma through the mind-body therapies and programs that promote resilience within individuals, families, and the larger community. For his work in that at-risk community, he received the Exemplary Psychiatrist Award from the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. Dr. Naeem continued his interest in integrative medicine as a Bravewell scholar at the University of Arizona under Dr. Andrew Weil. At his clinic in Los Angeles, Hope Integrative Psychiatry, Dr. Naeem has designed a complete recovery model that focuses on skill building, lifestyle change, and healing trauma to promote resilience and personal transformation. Additionally, Dr. Naeem is the founder of La Institute one part integrative mental health clinic, one part meditation and movement studio, and one part community gathering space. Lameda is a lab to explore and dynamically refine innovative integrative practices to usher in a new paradigm for preventative mental health. Now, to start off our interview, I asked Dr. Naim if he could reflect on the idea of connection. And why it's so important for us to focus on it, especially in today's day and age.
1: You know, one of our, our my my main things is uh, bringing to consciousness our uh, communal nature. Um, however, it is that we're living in modern life, the degree of separation we can we can go by because we can survive on our own. Our circuitry is still really designed for. Um, sensing and connecting with each other, which is why when you look at the research on happiness, fulfillment, and what drives our behavior, it's connection that seems, and, and social connection seems to be driving us. Where I think we're at in, um, in history is at a time where we really are actually losing touch with what that means and actually losing the ability to know how that even feels. You know, or with technology, we have gotten to a point where we are so in our heads that we may not even know what it feels like to feel connected.
0: It's almost like in a way we're surrounded by more people than ever. It looks like it, but we have less real connection with people. Yeah, because
1: connection is a felt sense. It's, it's, a, it's an actual um, event that happens between bodies. And the uh, uh, best way to think about it is when you see a pack of zebras moving in coordination or any group of mammals or primates when they're when they're working in these tight knit groups, they're not talking to each other, telling each other, go right, go left. We're going to do this. It's not cognitive. It's felt. It's the attachment circuitry. Um, and I'm kind of pointing below my neck. The point is that the body is not just this thing that's carrying around our heads. It's, it's this rich evolutionary circuitry that's designed to sense each other and attune to each other and work in coordination with each other. And so we may be connecting through ideas, but we're not experiencing that fulfilling sense of being in a relationship where we feel bonded. Mm. Being bonded, meaning that we feel we are of the same group. We are looking out for each other and our bodies feel safe with each other. I saw somebody earlier today and um, talking about how do you know you're, you're, you feel connected to this new guy you're dating? Really bringing and, and then guiding him on what does it feel like in your body?
0: right cuz that's when you know they you feel connected they were asking you they were asking you like what should they be looking for if they if if they know that there's a connection between them and somebody else yeah and i was
1: saying back to him notice next time those moments where you really feel connected how do you know you're feeling connected just really basic i say you know like a 3 year old how do you know it's that memory when you remember when you were a kid you walk into a room and your your chest feels warm if something happened you're scared because you start to shiver so our body, these sensations, they're telling us what, this information. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're losing connection with that um, because it's not what we
0: need to pay attention to most of the time anymore. You know, you have this really great story that you told me the last time that we hung out. We went for sushi together uh, the last time we saw each other. And we were just catching up as brothers, talking about what's happening in our life. And you shared this great story with me that, I, that I've told a few times as an anecdote. And that story is how uh, sometimes you'll drop your kids to school uh like maybe i'll take an uber there but to get back you'll ask another parent for a ride yeah and explain what what you were sharing about this story and uh and why is it so important in this day and age
1: yeah you know it it um i i moved away. i grew up in la and i moved back and uh after leaving for eight years and one of the hard things for me was how much you don't interact with people because it's such a driving city. So when we moved back, we had kids here and I decided, an, and then Uber and Lyft came out. And so I could actually not own a car and I wanted to try that. And it's, it's actually stuck and I bike right to work. And so what I found was I wanted f- to find ways to interact, you know, in the, in the car, you can meet people, you can talk. And then even bumming rides. And, you know, my wife will tell you I partially also did it to save money. and uh, <laughs> But it was really fun. And it was also really interesting because pretty soon every conversation would go towards. I remember when I was a kid, we would give rides to each other a lot. Yeah. And I remember my parents would give somebody a ride or so, and And you just don't do that. And then it turned into like there is this way in which we are acculturated somehow to like not want to intrude on each other anymore in that way we don't want to
0: ask for help we don't want to seem reliant yeah ha, ha, was there ever a sensation inside of you You walk you drop your kid off to school you walk up to a parent and you say hey would you mind you know giving me a, a ride ride back was there ever a, a sensation inside of you that felt um what traditionally might feel people feel as like nervous or awkward about it
1: yeah, I mean, I think I feel that, but if you as you, you know me well, my and my, my wife will be the first to tell you that that I, I really always blow past that. <laughs> I, I don't mind seeming obnoxious sometimes, but be, and I think there has always been a restless and restlessness in me in that regard as I grew up in this culture, really coming from a, a rich, big, traditional um, Iranian family where there's a lot of people with each other, mm-hmm. and feeling the constraints of that where you really couldn't be yourself sometimes you the group came first Mm. and certain values came first So it was like this was great to grow up here but then growing up here also kind of going to the other extreme this very individualistic culture i kind of got to the other end of the of that spectrum and saw there's something really missing on that other end and and then it's come back to really my work is um seeing that and i think if you look around there's so many structures in our society that are really falling apart right now and i think it does speak to the we're reaching kind of a point where certain ways of doing things that are really showing they're not working but but the model i work in is really that this this tension between authenticity and yet also feeling like you belong and you're a part of something bigger than you that's more than just you that seems to me to be the con the, the primary conflict for so many people that then disconnects us because we can't find a way to do both in this uh in this culture
0: yeah and I want to talk to you more about your model and the work that you do I just want to come back to the story about the uber again because it, it's something so simple and what I took from it and when I've told this story to a few other people was you know there's this beautiful happenstance that happens when you are relying on somebody in in even small ways I mean just even I think about uh you know I've been in, Uh, an entrepreneur and flying around the world, traveling, working on businesses. But before Uber, I, you know, as I'm also trying to save up money as a young entrepreneur and trying to get places and do things, I would call a friend up and say, Hey man, I know this is a little annoying, but I have a, uh, a flight tomorrow at like 6am. Can you drop me off at the airport at five? Yeah. And next time I got you right. It's, it's like offering and asking for help creates an interdependence yeah is what I took away from you and why it's so beautiful in this day and age if we look at it now that interdependence that friction that brought us together is being removed through as you're explaining technology
1: yeah you know the um you said entrepreneurship I I, I was in public uh, community mental health for a long time and then um Once I realized I wanted to work differently, I had to start my own business and start a small business and a risk is natural. And it was good to have to go through that. You know, when you talk about what it is to be human is to, to have to struggle. And that's when, you know, you have to rely on people, but also a small business. I, I got to a point where I I really realized how much integrity having to be in a small business has, because you are having to interdepend with each other but it's not so big that I don't know everybody. I can't hide. I can't hide behind a desk or a, or a room or a door. You know, that when you're in this kind of a, a business, 20, 30 people, these people that you work with every day, there's a level of, you can't not interdepend unless you have
0: some big system that hides you. So just, that was when yeah. came up. Super interesting. I want to start with the basics. You know, in, in the Broken Brain docuseries, which you were featured in, we started exploring all these different models to truly understanding how to address this growing epidemic of brain disorders, uh, anxiety and depression, and the full spectrum of it all. And you call yourself an integrative psychiatrist. Tell us what that means. You know, in the series, you talked a little bit of how that world is changing. But for our listeners here that haven't seen that, what is integrative psychiatry and how is your approach to uh, psychiatric medicine?
1: Yeah. So um, I, you know, the background for me is I I was working with um, high-risk youth who were really heavily, heavily medicated in the foster care system. And, um, you'd see multiple diagnoses and multiple, multiple medications and that, and a real neglect for trauma. And, uh, I know we're going to talk about trauma uh, later on and, um, and it just seemed like we're really missing something. So that took me on a journey of trying to figure out what, what, where we, where we gone wrong? And, Um, And if
0: I could just stop you for a second, why did you feel that you were missing something? like what do you think you know where a lot of people maybe wouldn't have even asked themselves you know are we missing something or have been curious or this is just how it is what was that little spark that was there for you or that motivation um you know
1: when you read these kids histories so i'd have a 15 year old sitting in front of me that was removed from their home at at one two three years old because of severe abuse or neglect and then you'd read they went into then a another foster care home, and unfortunately, very commonly, there's more abuse in the foster care system, actually. You'd see maybe two, three incidents like that over the next few years, and then and then the kid at four or five years old is being described as starting to uh, show signs of violence. And then they get put in a group home and diagnosed with bipolar disorder and ADHD, and you say, okay, well, well maybe that's there too, but where is the recognition that Going through all of those events wouldn't make wouldn't the natural response? Not only have you been around violence and traumatized, but to then suddenly at you know you read these stories at one in the morning, removed and taken to a group home, suddenly brought into a group home, bunch of new strangers. You're five years old, and on that first day, you throw you throw something out of anger and rage, and and then they get labeled as being mentally ill when that's actually I would say a normal response at it's, that point. Uh,
0: body's survival mechanism in a way.
1: Right. So I think that the degree to which there was a discrepancy between what seemed like common sense and not being named just was it was it was too obvious to me in a way. And I think that the problem is that medicine had has become so algorithmized We've become trained because we have so much information, you know, you know, since the seventies and eighties, big data, um, you know, we, we have so much information and s- that we can become better and better technicians. And I think what that's done is that we apply now these algorithms so much so that when you're talking about the human spirit, these emotions and like, you know, reading somebody's story that we don't even pay attention to like what seems like, well, I would, I would do the same thing, you know? Mm. Um, so that so, was the kind of the model that you grew up in and you were, and kids weren't getting better, right? Let's just put, let's, th- th- let Ultimately, me say that, let me say that, that alongside that. Yeah. Is that, and I can tell you the research on that now that I've really gotten into it, but at the time it was really, odd. these kids weren't better. They were not functioning any better in life. Mm. So it was, and then at the same time I was learning about mindfulness, meditation, breath work, yoga, and these things that seemed to really help in my personal life. So I started to teach them to the kids and we tried going down off the medication and they were getting better. And um, I also brought in um, a family therapy program at that center and we started to do some repair work with families. And so what you've, and then what you found was really nurturing the innate resilience in people that they can learn how to regulate their nervous systems. We can heal from trauma. And I was learning about trauma as something that we can heal from versus kind of the disordered chemical imbalance, you know, um, genetic uh, description of why um, someone gets sick.
0: I remember this story that you had told me the first time that we had uh, met up, which was a story, I think, from your residency. There was a woman that had gone through a recent situation of a husband that I think was... Yeah, uh, not faithful with her yeah. and the insights that come out of that. Would you, would you feel comfortable sharing that story here?
1: Yeah, I, I was, um, I was, I was a medical student actually, and I was in the family medicine rotation and family medicine um, doing the best they can. And with five to seven minutes with clients because of, of, of how the, the system is set up now, you know, cause I want to say that cause I don't want to blame anybody. I think that we really got to look at the whole system and, um, she had five to seven minutes, and the woman was sitting there and, and describing that she's been more depressed lately, and and she described how she just recently found out her husband has HIV, which took them on a path of why do you have HIV, and then she found out that he's been unfaithful, and she's now waiting to hear back if she has HIV, and this was just in the last you know few weeks or month because she was still waiting to hear back of her HIV results. And I think that the doctor well-meaning said, well, you know, these things can be out of our control, that, you know, we are born with innate uh, chemical imbalances and, uh, you know, there are medicines that can help that. You know, the thing is I I use medication with people. I think that they can be valuable. I I equate the ideal use of them, removing really more severe illnesses like schizophrenia, um, using them like a cast on a broken leg. That there are times that we need to um, block the system's natural range of motion in order for the, the 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 biology to do its own work of healing, you know. That if we can support this woman, even if we were to have given her medication so that she doesn't, she can function. Let's say she can't go to work. Well, she can't go to work. She can't pay her bills. She can't come see me as a doctor. So if I give her a medication so that she can sustain through that period of time, that's that's a good use of the medication but what's dangerous is that we're transmitting an idea and a story to that removes our capacity to first of all link up events and have integrity in our life you know that that my feelings are valid they're normal and i've got to do something about it. those feelings are signals that my i'm evolutionarily designed to have strong feelings to inform me that there's danger or I'm losing something that's important to me. So we're, we're, we're cutting ourselves off from feelings that are there to tell me what is good, what I need to do to take care of myself. And we're, we're, um, we're really, we're spreading ideas. You know, science, there's this idea that science is called scientism has become its own kind of dogma Mm. that then doesn't really recognize that it's,
0: it's creating culture. Um, yeah yeah it's almost like uh anything can become a dogma in the scientism there's this sort of approach and feeling that it's one directional it's a to b that it's not uh you know I always use the example that uh you know NASA has a major facility where they test a bunch of different things and it's a huge vacuum and they have different shuttles inside of there and they wanna see how things will react in space. So they had this test on YouTube, you can watch it. They have a bowling ball and a feather and they take them both up to the top and they drop them in the vacuum and they both drop at the exact same rate. But then in the real world, you go in a 747 in a plane, if you throw a bowling ball and a feather out the window, there's actual friction, there's life events, there's circumstances, there's situation that it's not always gonna operate the same way and every person is different. And everybody individual is going to respond differently to drugs, food, diet, life events, circumstances. And that's really the message that you're trying to bring to the table with what you guys are doing here. You know, we're sitting in your offices at, at hope and take us a little bit more on that journey. You know, when, when, you know, you you talked a little about your past experiences that change your understanding and thinking, um, how do you practice, you know, now when a patient comes in the door compared to how maybe you were trained to practice in the beginning? Yeah.
1: So, you know, after a while, it, I I got to a point where I took then an extra fellowship in integrative medicine. And um, in that, I learned about holistic ways of understanding how people get sick and uh, viewing, viewing sickness as, um, you know, alongside what keeps us healthy. And I also learned how to work with a lot of herbal medicines and um, aromatherapy, nutritional remedies. So I learned all of these other modalities. Um, and integrative medicine is trying to bring the best of Western medicine alongside other modalities as long as they have uh, research to support them. Um, and the things I just mentioned, they, you know, the ones I use all, all do have some research, so especially aromatherapy. It's uh, mainstream medicine in Japan and in France, actually. But the main thing is for me, I've gotten to a point for a while now that I've seen we're at risk in integrative medicine of, of still doing the same thing, that we're We're telling people that there's something that's going to fix you versus um, this is one thing that can support you in what's happening to you. But let's look at the whole picture, like you said. What are all the different things that that we're interacting with? So when I sit with people, the first thing I say is at the beginning is I I say, most people I can help recover. And even though today that's a bold statement that we can recover from depression, anxiety. um, If you really look at the history, depression, anxiety disorders were understood by mainstream psychiatry to be time limited and most people fully recovered before the eighties. I sit with people and I say, most people I can help completely recover if you're willing, if we're willing to really look at all pieces and whatever comes up, we got to deal with it. Mm. You know, if it's there, we got to look at it and we got to deal with it. And they'll say, well, I've done a lot of therapy and I've talked a lot about my childhood. I say, well, that might be one thing. Let's look at your current lifestyle. Let's look at your food. Let's look at all dimensions. If We put it all on the table and we just see what are the interactions, what's the story here, and we're willing to really make changes. I think you can recover. And if you're willing to, to do the work, it's your work, it's not my work. I'm here to be your cheerleader, your educator, your support, and we can use medicine, herbal medicine, whatever it is, to support you getting through it. But all of those things are supports to get your life, to, to get you in control of your own life
0: and so many of those support systems it's great for them to hear about it from a traditional psychiatrist because they often don't know that those items have actual research behind them that show that they work you know most people if you go to them on the road and you say have you heard about you know aromatherapy and it's linked with you know reducing anxiety in people said i've never heard of that that sounds like quackery you know that's that sounds crazy so when they hear it from uh an actual doctor who's talking about it, who's done the work, who's researched it, there's an openness that, you know, that may not be there. Or maybe that's even why my assumption is that even patients seek you out because there is an openness, but they don't know exactly the right protocol yeah. and, and plan. So, you know, one, one of the things that's, you know, you talked about medication and I think most people recognize, even many doctors themselves recognize in the space that the go-to for a lot of, uh, Things in the psychiatric world, symptoms, diseases that people, disorders that people are working through, we tend to go to medication first, yeah. Uh, versus looking, as you said, at the whole um, system. And more recently, there's been even some awareness that, well, let me let me take a step back and do this. Is that if it worked and people got better, then that's that's completely fine. Yeah. But there's challenges with going to medication first and relying on medication long term is the only solution. What are some of the challenges that are out there that you know of? To challenges to... To going to medication first and, you know, using medication as the only modality to treat somebody long term.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the biggest one is like we were saying earlier that you, you skip over, if you, if you, if you solve the symptom, you then reduce the pressure to even look at the other pieces. So I think one reason why the numbers would say we're, we have a lot more disability from depression, anxiety since the '80s when SSRIs started to get used, I think a lot one large part of it is because we get symptom relief, but the underlying cause isn't being addressed. So then that kind of builds up. It becomes you know it's like the ticket you don't pay and you put it in your drawer and then you know six months a year later it's it's twice as much, you know. So you know the most common thing I hear is when i went on medication i felt like myself again which sounds great but that's not the way life works we you know especially a rich meaningful life is one in which we go through experiences and we change and we grow and in fact when you really look at people who are feel fulfilled and happy and most the most it, it's it's meaning that that fills us and meaningful things come from how we go through hardship how we you know, it's the most, it's the hard things that change us that become the most, you know, enriching. So I felt like myself again, but what if there was something changing at that time? Or what if life was demanding of you to change and grow? Um, So that's the other thought I have about, you know, what the danger is. We're also removing actually opportunities for um, richer, deeper experiences in which we grow as human beings, which we, you know, I was saying to somebody earlier that, the, the psyche, the mind, uh, and the soul, whatever the soul is, uh, it, 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 it grows from experience. It's like skin, um, gets thicker when it, it faces something difficult. All, you know, muscle grows when it gets challenged, you know, bone actually require, you know, all growth requires challenge. So I think another reason why we're, we're, we are becoming more brittle overall, Mm. you know, and, and, we things are becoming easier in all ways because of technology, so we're becoming more brittle overall, and I think then the medic medication is is now become easily co-opted into that system as
0: well. Mm. Mm. That's super interesting. And you know, I think about even in the uh, functional medicine and integrative world, let's say somebody's you know diet is not the best, right and and you give them tools and other things to address that if their inner world has a turmoil or if mentally they're so caught up in, in grief or some sort of things that are running them, anxiety, you can literally, everybody knows this, you could be eating the most perfect diet, working out and other things, but if you're uh, frustrated inside or you're going through a major life event, you can still make yourself sick. Yeah. And it's almost like emotions are more powerful than anything we eat, anything we put on our body, anything else, not that we don't want to address those things too, but it's like ultimately we have to look at what's there. I kind of think of it as like, you know, if your gardener, if you came to your gardener and you said, Hey, listen, this this tree is turning brown and brittle, I said, Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. I have some green paint, let's paint it over. Okay, the tree is green again. Yeah. And it seems like that's the type of approach that we rely on when we rely on just medication yeah. alone. And you're trying to ask yourself, you know, what is actually going on in this patient's world? Like yeah. what's really going on? And is it fair to say that you often don't know immediately in the beginning? It takes investigation. It takes digging in to see which one of these pillars they need to work on the most.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And you touched on something
1: um, around, like what you said food, and it may not be the food, is that I can see on any given day also, you know, kind of touching on like the wellness industry and, and the alternative health industry. I will see just as many clients come in who have been battering themselves with you know, alkalized water and the best foods and, you know, yoga and meditation and they're not better and they're wondering why. And I think that what you're touching on there, there's a bigger story, our lives and the interconnectedness of them and what it means our lives. And, you know, there's, there's much more to it. And if we approach these things, whatever it is we're working with, you know, you could be addicted to breath work and yoga because you don't want to deal with um, that. You're not happy in your marriage, or that you know you made a choice to move across the country for the best job, um, but you you don't have any family around, or you know there there's what are the pieces of the story? You got to look at everything, and so we can we can use anything through this mentality. And I think this idea that if there's something wrong, there's something wrong with me, where we make the individual the problem. So then what happens is if I'm sick, I can batter myself with how to eat trying to fix myself I'm fi- you know so whether it's medicine or food or meditation am I trying to fix myself or am I first stepping back and getting curious and accepting and seeing what is and what's true that I need to see and it may be that I'm not eating well or maybe it, it is that you know what I talk about meditation at dinner parties but I haven't done it in six days and I'm more cranky and and I could blame my wife but I haven't done my morning practice in six days, so it's really like being present enough that you have integrity in your life. I think that um, most wisdom traditions talk about integrity as being the foundation of health, and integrity can take on other meanings in our culture. You know, it means like not lying, but it just means taking
0: responsibility for yourself, right? Whatever's there, as you were saying earlier, yeah. you know, having that commitment to to slowly. Right. Sometimes, sometimes quickly. Sometimes slowly. Sometimes gently, uh, addressing it and taking it on and saying, "I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna run for this." Yeah. Um, so w- when a patient comes to you, how do you help them unpack and get in that integrity? How do they? How? What's the methodology that you take on helping them maybe see? and have that almost Sherlock Holmes approach of digging in a little bit deeper to see what these core areas are that deserve, that might deserve attention.
1: Yeah. You used to use the word pillars earlier. And I think that's another word for like, you know, and I use language like domains of your life or dimensions of your life, but, um, there are a lot of different domains, but it is also, you know, 80, 90% of the time you're covering them. If you're, you're asking how safe and were you safe in the home growing up? Did you feel loved? Could you be yourself? So was it safe? If not, there was was there tra- was it traum- traumatic? Um, did you feel loved? Which is similar, actually. And then um, could you be yourself, or did you have to pretend? Did you have to disconnect from your authentic self? Um, we look at genetics and temperament, um, and then you look at other losses, traumatic events growing up. And then you look at current lifestyle, and um, how are you caring for yourself? Where are you balanced? Where are you dysregulated? You know, and um, for me, it was really important. I felt like I wanted to. I really believe in that. I am pioneering something very boring, which is to take responsibility and put all these pieces together, and at the same time, something that can be really challenged uh, as all you know, alternative and not scientific. So, what I really try and do is. Put all those pieces together in a story that makes sense, but grounded in the basics of how the nervous system works and how we're designed evolutionarily um, for health. So I take what it's like an ecological approach. I say, if you just really keep it basic, like the way we care for a plant, you know, you buy a plant. A house plant from home depot what's the amount of water what's the amount of sun what's what's the soil so you know millions of years this is how we evolved is that we we need a lot of connection our circuitry is this is called the attachment system i can draw it on a whiteboard i love my whiteboard because i like to put it on the whiteboard this is how it works this is the normal functioning of the human uh, nervous system and so you know these. If you if you're eating a lot of sugar and caffeine and skipping meals because you're trying to lose weight, and then you're exhausted at the end of the day, well, it's because your adrenal system is getting fatigued, and and it's just the way it works. It's really. If you, I think if you keep it really basic and put all these pieces together, you could be grounded in science and um, teach people how to regulate their own nervous system, mm-hmm.
0: and, uh, and and it is quite profound. I mean, there's still people that go to um, their medical provider today and maybe seek uh, psychiatric help who are being told that, um, Hey, I, you know, doctor, I read this article online about how, you know, sometimes weed or other foods can cause inflammation in the gut and that can affect, you know, and call it, make me more depressed or make me more anxious. Yeah. And, you know, the practitioner coming back and saying, you know, there's no research that's out there for it. And that's really just another way of them saying they're not aware of it. Right. So for you as a psychiatrist to come in and say, you know, these things all make a difference, yeah. Um, I think in a way it gives, it gives hope to people that they're not crazy that this, you know, I can remember when I first started changing my diet to like healthier eating, one of the first things that I n- noticed that improved in college was my mood. I was never clinically depressed. You know, my dad runs a, uh, was CFO of a group of psychiatric hospitals. I kind of grew up in that world and would intern in the summers. And, you know, there was a lot of open conversations around mental health in our house. I never had a clinical depression, uh, but I would notice serious, um, uh, what what I felt was feeling depressed and feeling like no sense of like, where's my life going and that, and for no obvious reason and changing my diet and lifestyle as I got into college and started becoming more aware and immediately seeing an improvement in my mood. Mm. Um, I'm sure you hear stories from patients like this all the time.
1: Yeah yeah I mean that you're what you're making me think of is because we're talking about you know what is this is this science is this because this is not standard care you know what I described of what I do is not standard care and there if if there haven't been you know major studies over and over again to prove this approach but at the same time I feel safe and I feel like I'm grounded and um, responsible because I'm I don't think you, I think that the science actually is there because this is our natural state is to have relationships. This is our natural state to move around a lot and be more active. It is not our natural state to have foods that um, give these jolts of sugar and all these toxins. But that may not be the story, so that's fine. Maybe it is just chemical imbalances. But we've had since the fifties use of psychoactive medication, Since the eighties, a huge, huge rise. We're now one out of six adults is on medication. We've gone from the 1950s, one out of 500 people disabled from depression, anxiety to now one out of 76. Okay. So we've got a whole nother data set there that 70 years, especially 30 years, which is a whole life cycle of this approach and we're sicker. So here's a whole nother data set, right? And then the other one is how does just, we now have the science of how, which is functional medicine. How do these different systems, the cardiac system, the GI system, the brain, how do these systems interact, the adrenal glands? And then I work with clients. I say, well, piece it together and I'm not going to sell you a bunch of supplements and say, this is going to cure you. Let's try one or two things and you come back and you decide if you feel better. Let's make you the expert. So I think putting that all together, I do think that there's, it's common sense at this point. Um, hmm. and I think there is a distraction to their needs, you know, that will wear the empirical based evidence studies before you do this. Cause it's actually not there in a lot of the standard care as well, but they've just become standard care because mainstream medicine,
0: it worked. So true. You know, a big part of what you do in your practice is that you, um, expose people to therapies and modalities that they traditionally didn't know is available. Earlier you mentioned, you know, trauma and here at the the clinic, for patients who have gone through trauma, you have um, a therapy, somatic therapy. Yeah, uh, am I pronouncing that correctly?
1: Yeah, there's 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 several. Um, yeah, the, yeah. There's somatic experiencing. Um, there's sensory motor psychotherapy. There's uh, one of them called Hakomi. There's a smattering of smaller ones. It's the reason why there's so many is because there's. Um, it's actually a, a tradition that has been around for, you could say, centuries in terms of how to see trauma
0: as something we hold in the body. So can you can you yeah. um, d- describe sort of the overarching approach, like the, you know, why do these therapies exist? And maybe give a, a little bit of an example, because I think that this is a subject that we did not talk much about in Broken yeah. Brain. Um and it's a subject that I think, you know, the more you start talking about trauma, the more you realize so many people have gone through trauma yeah. and they're looking for resources and understanding. And, uh, so yeah, can you explain a little bit of the approach and that idea that trauma is something that we store and hold on to in the body?
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you, um, the, there, there's two different kinds of trauma. You can say there's, um, really early, early childhood trauma. And then there's, um, developmental trauma, still, this is a field that's growing. So I'm, I'm throwing out different words and changing a little bit as I go because it's kind of changing as we go right now. I think when I was uh, in training, like I said earlier, with those foster care kids, nobody was talking about trauma. It's, it's now the mental health field is talking about trauma, and we're starting to really parse it down. It was only World War I that um, we actually named something called shell shock. Mm. Um, and by the time the Vietnam war came around, it was, um, being talked about as PTSD eventually. And the idea that, you know, sexual assault can be traumatic is not that old. Maybe I think 20, 30 years, it's been understood that, you know, sexual assault or violence, you know, physical abuse can be traumatic. So we're, it's still something that is just starting to be uncovered. Um, as to what it is, but yeah, we take it for granted today. But it was—it's
0: a very new concept.
1: Yeah. Um, so early, early childhood trauma is in that first few years, and, and the real expert on this is Dr. Bruce Perry. Um, really, that the the, the develop the 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 first few years of life, when our brain is still developing, its primary goal is to develop the ability to just regulate its own self in this world. Heart rate, gut working. Um, breathing, all these rhythms that, that that run the body, right? And then also sensing relationships that we need to connect to in order to be safe, right? Um, that's why, you know, that's, if you're, remember, you're three, four years old, you suddenly don't know where your mom is, your heart starts pounding because you need to know, how to re- you need to know how to keep yourself safe. So kids who experience unstable environments or uh, insufficient environments in terms of safety and security, that early brain development um, becomes dysregulated, becomes very sensitized. Um, you can imagine it's kind of like what our country was like in that first six months after 9-11 where we're, 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 we're reacting to everything. And uh, so the nervous system becomes sensitized because it doesn't know when threat will come. It come, could come at any time. So people, and I've seen people who grew up in middle class families that, that, that there was no uh, feeling that there was anything bad that happened. But really looking at it, then in those first few years, uh, both parents working and fighting all the time. Um, And maybe no sexual abuse, but still some version of relative trauma that was there for them as a child. Right. And the way that we experience early childhood trauma, it's a pre-verbal experience. It's before we had words to put to experiences. So if, if anybody has the experience of a general unease, a general reactivity, never feeling quite at peace in my body, at peace in the world, always a little bit on edge, but it's wordless. It's nameless, you know, versus... A car accident and now being in a car makes me restless. But it's, 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 I generally don't feel like I'm able to be in rhythm and safe and feel good. And, and I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that experience that. And I think that if we really look at how we've been um, raising kids the last few decades, um, there's an insufficiency of uh, support and it doesn't take much. To um to I think cause some of that. So then beyond two three years old, you're now in developmental stage where there's you can put words to it. Um, but overall that and what we now call shock trauma, which is the car accident, the 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 the, the rape, violent episode the violent something. episode, where a single episode. What what the way to understand it is, we have a fight or flight system. Um, the way the 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 human uh animal manages threat is with our fight or flight system. Uh, it's no different than um any animal in the wild. Um the only difference between us and and, and being in the wild is that we can think. Um but our threat response is, is this fight or flight system. There's actually a third mechanism um called the freeze state, which is um when it's best thought of as like uh playing dead. If you can't run and if you can't fight, it's actually evolutionarily advantageous to have this ability to freeze, to um, go limp, um, play dead. And anybody's experienced that. Um, if you've watched the National Geographic show where the zebras are at a watering hole, they suddenly sense the lion. You notice they all kind of go into, they, they freeze for a moment and then they run. If you've ever had an experience of being overwhelmed and you froze up, Right. That's that freeze response. If you then get past the experience, if you see your dog get out of something scary and they shake, or if you watch that animal on that show, um, if if they show the tape beyond when when the animal has survived and the threat has passed, the animal will shake. If you've ever experienced after something really scary and overwhelming, then you shake it out where that, that idea shake it off mm-hmm. comes from is when what happens is we hold the energy in that frozen state and then when the threat has passed we release it what this theory is what how PTSD evolves is that because of reasons having to do with the fact that we can we have ideas of who we need to be we stay in that frozen state if i grew up in a home that getting angry was not allowed or you know dad was an alcoholic and my instinct to get angry or yell or scream out of fear if, if he was scared me, but if in that home we all had to pretend it was okay for dad to be so unstable, then I've gotten my safety required that I got habituated to not allowing that kind of emotional outburst, right? So then what happens if I'm now 15, 17 and a, and a man, you know, uh, sexually assaults me, um, that freeze response is 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 a protective mechanism I may go through, but if i'm if it's not okay for me to go through that, then completion of that emotion in which I may then cry out once the threat has passed. you know, when you hear stories of it happened, I froze up and then I went home, and then i didn't I just didn't say anything. like nothing happened. like nothing happened. It may be that I in my head said, I can't tell anybody, but a lot of people will just say I kind of just went into
0: a fog. I just continued on. It's and, that and, way and with a lot of things, you know, they might get into a fight with their boss, and it's right. a really emotionally upsetting thing, and then they just they go on. They didn't yeah. have any sort of experience of processing it. That's right. And so
1: when you say like we were talking about trauma is becoming better and better at being understood is what's happening a lot of the time. I really see trauma as much more common than even that is that like what you said about the boss is that we are, I think we go through many experiences where we're having to absorb and pretend who we have to be in order to fit in. And we're absorbing a lot of micro traumas. You know, the, the, the native Americans use sweat lodges and vision quests, these, these intense experiences regularly for all people. Um, because they evoke intense experiences of release of energy, of mm-hmm. release of tension, and everybody's supposed to do a vision quest. is supposed to be done every two to three years. Because I think we, it's being human. We actually we accumulate a lot of micro traumas. So the problem isn't that we freeze up, but that we don't have the release. There's a really great writer, uh, Sebastian Unger, who's written a book, Tribe, that you know I've talked about. He also. Wrote a great article in Vanity Fair about this that the why war vet people in war they're they're okay when they're in war it's coming back to a society that's moved on meaning in our society we don't really deal with trauma anymore so we there's no place to complete right there's no place to to shake normal sort of world you're supposed to act normal so you can't you know societies that still honor that, that, that trauma is part of the cycle that we have these experiences where we, we, we evoke these
0: feelings and, um, release them. So because we have, you know, only so much time together here, give us an idea that, you know, I think the awareness of trauma is growing, but still there's a major lack of awareness of tools to help people that feel like, you know, they're listening to this and they feel like they have things stored inside their body. Yeah. And it's like, what do I do now? right? The situation yeah. was there. So what are some of the tools, you know, maybe there were some of the things that I covered earlier. Maybe there's some different things that you know of that can begin to help us start pulling some of this out yeah. of the body.
1: Yeah. One thing I'll say is I'm a, I'm a big believer in psychotherapy, so I'm not, uh, I don't want to discredit it, but, but I will say that a lot of people have done a lot of talk therapy and they don't get better. And I think one reason is because we, 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 trauma is not appreciated. Um, as the root cause. And trauma is about working with the body. Mm. And so if, if you're not working with somebody who works with the body, who works with, who understands trauma in that way, you actually talking about what happened, not only doesn't help, but it actually
0: even makes you worse. And I think that that's what a lot of people have experienced. And again, to your what you're saying, therapy is great and it's helped so many people but there are sometimes that people find themselves in the situation where it's just, you're talking and talking and talking, you know, there's this this distinction that Dr. Hyman talks about in the broken brain series, which is that for, for years we've known that the mind can impact the body. People know that when they're stressed out, you know, they might get a stomach ache or they feel this or feel that, but we never really understand and appreciated the opposite that the body can impact the mind. And here you are saying that the trauma is in the body. So if somebody is, is is going to address the trauma in the body, you know what do they start to look at now?
1: Yeah, the, the thing to think about, if, if it's early childhood trauma, regular repeated routines day-to-day that get us in our body, soothing our body, things like yoga, breath work, um, having really good structure to our lives. So early childhood trauma has its own unique kind of needs. Um, but m- otherwise you first let me say this recovering from trauma um, we can completely recover from trauma it's like a wound is capable of healing
0: okay and are you saying that because some people out there just feel like they're broken and they can't recover
1: yeah and I think that the the mental health and the mental health system since DSM is is what governs how to diagnose people in dsm3 was the big change that Took away life experience as what needed to be understood to give a diagnosis. At the same time, genetic theory came on, and then the farm, the SSRIs. Ever since then, this idea of chemical imbalances is a fixed thing. That there's nothing you're we just can do about up. it. There's and yeah. it's almost
0: like taking ownership away from you, and yeah. so you're just messed up. That's so, it. You're right. And so when I went to psychiatry
1: training, what I learned was the goal was helping people become stable. Mm. Mm. And uh, office visits, the insurance code was medication management. And so then that was the language my clients would also come and talk with me about like managing my symptoms and I people weren't saying I recover it was it was I took the medication then I was stable he went off his medication he's not stable he's back on his medication he's stable which what, what it means is symptoms were quiet enough that I was that the person was able to continue being the same and stable and, and function as they were um, versus trauma depression These things, most people can heal. We can recover. We can complete the grief process. We can let go of what needs to be let go of. We can release the stuck energy, which is what trauma is about. And trauma is about, healing from trauma is about, um, it's about compassion as much as it is about actually reawakening our fight or flight system. So it's about triumphing. The book that really, Change my life that is a resource I would say to anybody to understand the basics of trauma is Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger. If you really look at the title, you know, Waking the Tiger, that trauma is about losing contact with that primal force in us of self preservation and fight. So, the best thing for someone who's been assaulted is a boxing class or you know martial art or assertiveness training learning how to set your boundaries it's becoming strong being comfortable with your strength and your power again
0: in addition to other things they might add in yeah which is something i would say
1: psychotherapy doesn't isn't ever been good at you know we're we analyze and we're good with compassion Uh, but i think a lot of people if you look at yourself anybody's life we've all had periods of trauma and overcoming it was about triumphing over it, it was around regaining our strength and our power and our confidence. It wasn't getting in touch with the helplessness and then talking about the helplessness, it's about getting in touch with the helplessness that we're stuck in and then finding a new response and that response is within us. Um, And yoga, I'll say just real quickly, (laughs) there's there's research on it uh, being helpful for depression, anxiety, it's very good for trauma, it's very popular now, which is great. As long as you find a studio that's not overly competitive, it's really honoring yoga's original purpose, which is to help people get in touch and regulate their own nervous systems.
0: Yoga, breath work, mindfulness, these are all really, really good for trauma. And are there any of these other modalities that you use here that you use specifically in trauma that you didn't have a chance to mention?
1: Yeah. So the the I I, I mentioned the the two that are most recognized in the field that are the practitioners here um, either are trained in sensory motor psychotherapy, which uh, Pat Ogden created, or um, uh, somatic experiencing, which Peter Levine, who I mentioned earlier, who um, created sensory motor. uh, Pat Ogden was a student of uh, Dr. Levine's, took somatic experiencing and kind of evolved it, bringing in more attachment and early childhood trauma work. Um, so sensory motor, if you had to choose, is is maybe you can say better, you more uniquely suited for um, the needs of early childhood trauma. If 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 the person who threatened me was the loved one that I relied on, if it was my parent who was unsafe, um, overcoming that isn't about just standing up and recovering my boundaries and my 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 power. It's it's also about learning how to trust love again. So it's it's about being able to lean in and get close again to people. And all trauma is about, all trauma cuts us off from connection. But it's a different uh, consequence when it was your primary caregivers that were the unsafe people.
0: One of the things that you're a big fan of and that you and I talk a lot about is community and how really bringing more community into your life is part of what keeps our mental health strong because that's how we were designed. There's yeah. a lot of people that are out there that write into the podcast and we keep on talking about community and they're like, listen, in theory, I get it and I love it, but I don't even know where to begin. So when you have patients that come to you and are talking about, uh, you're telling them about the importance of creating more community in their life and connectedness and they don't know how to start, what do you suggest to them?
1: Yeah. Um, I think I first take an interest in who is there that you can't connect with that's in your natural community um, siblings, parents, family members um, that you feel disconnected from is that something to repair I think that regenerating our natural community is 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 number one because if we go from i think this is another way that psychotherapy can cause damage is that if that if we can go from A culture that, you know, talking about how my family let me down changes into how can I play a role in regenerating the values that can help my family heal. Not only does that mean I can heal, but we can actually reverse this problem where family becomes not a source of trauma for so many people or stress or disappointment, but it
0: goes back to its original purpose, which is safety and love. Because often for them, it's just a cycle too. They're reacting to their trauma and then one person has to step up and say, how is this going to change? Yeah. And that's part of all of our responsibility is to create that. Yeah. Um,
1: I think that this is like such the issue of our time. I think if you really do want to connect, there are ways to do it. And there's everybody. I think so many people are looking for this that I think it just takes the courage to uh, be the one who talks about that. Is that uh, hey you know I'm really connected online, but I'm kind of feel lonely. You know, to to start to have those conversations um, about how we're living as a society and is this working? Many things are working, but there's some things that are really not working. Um, you know, Meetup has really exploded as as a as a as a um, program because people are looking for this. So going on Meetup. I think that uh, we all have neighbors and um, I, I, we have somebody on our team who yesterday we were talking about having this conversation. He was saying, he was remarking how amazing it is. People in his building, he will say hi to them every time he sees them, um, but they still try and not you know, notice him. Yeah, they don't want to interact. They don't want to interact and it was very sweet because he was choked up as he was um, describing that story and the thing was even if he doesn't get the response he's keeping that circuitry in himself nurtured and alive because he's relating from it.
0: Hmm.
1: And that means you know the way the nervous system works is very much like how the br- muscles work it's it's what we do what how we train it is what it does it's like I'd say to people it's like building a life is like a garden or a house you build over time. It's not a switch where you hit this and then the lights come on the, which the way I think a lot of healthcare is expected to be now, you know, this didn't work. It's got to work, you know, but really nurturing these parts of ourselves. So I think relating to ourselves, you know, as, as relating to ourselves and, and, and
0: just saying hello, just deciding that you care, I think, Putting out an invitation Hey Yeah I know we never We see each other in the hallway And I've always thought like Hey it would be great to have dinner Would you guys want to come over For dinner on Friday Yeah
1: Yeah And just Or or, or even even more simpler Than that Drew It's just Just see what it feels like To just sincerely say hi If that's something You're not good at If you don't do that You know Is actually just saying hi And like meaning it There's another podcast I was listening to recently About how sincerity Is so we don't uh, value that anymore. We don't. It's you don't see that. We're we're a humor culture. You have to always be funny um, and interesting. Um, but like sincerity means you're tapping into actually authentic feeling and expressing that on the outside. So what you're doing is if you're saying hello from a place of authenticity, you are nurturing and um, awakening that part of your circuitry that cares about connecting. Um, so that's a huge you know, step. It's the small things. Like we know, you know, people come and say, it's a small thing, but actually meant a lot. I'm like, I know exactly what you mean. We all know. It's those little things we know that we avoid are where our, like our whole story is in those certain small things. And I think for connection, it's like just, we know when we're being sincere in our desire to connect, if we just even look somebody in the eye and say hi and feel into our body what it feels like to be a little bit vulnerable and awkward in that moment. That's actually really good for the nervous system. It means you're not as stressed when you can relax. Awkwardness, if you notice how what it feels like to be awkward, it's lack of control in the body. That's actually a time of release from stress and trauma we're
0: releasing. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Dr. Naim, thank you so much. If uh, people want to look you up and want to work with you as a patient or work with your clinic, how do they find out uh, more about you guys?
1: If you go online, uh, there's two websites. You know, my clinic is Hope Integrative Psychiatry. Um, and you can find us at hopepsychiatry.com, h o p e psychiatry.com. Hope uh, is part of a larger institute called Lameda Institute, which you can which has um, programming, workshops, classes. We have a 100-member plus uh, yoga and meditation studio. And it's part of our model of a uh, clinic being part of a community center, being part of a studio that, that that's what healthcare should look like all in one roof. So Lameda Institute, you can find at www.lameda.org, L-A-M-A-I-D-A.org. And then last I'll say is that um, if you go on Lameda's website, we have a um, quarterly digest called Rhythms of Nature. Uh, So if you're interested in anything I'm talking about or being part of this movement, I consider it a movement, um, is to sign up for the Rhythms of Nature uh, Quarterly Digest, and it's really a forum for ideas um, and uh, not selling anything. We're not promoting this or that. It's really a a thoughtful, you know, the idea is kind of a a salon um, on paper, and uh, we call it Rhythms of Nature because I think this movement is um, about honoring our innate rhythms and our, uh, our innate reliance on interdependence with nature, including human nature. um,
0: Incredible. As an approach to health in the show notes. We'll make sure that we put a link in it. Thank you again for, uh, just jamming out with us and talking philosophy and mental health and, uh, this new standard of care that you're creating that one day hopefully will be the way that we just know mental health to be treated. That would be good. (laughs) Thank you, Drew. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner, helping you make changes especially when it comes to your health.